Before the Lord's Supper, we'll take our Bibles for a little bit and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, way towards the back, Hebrews chapter number 12. Give thanks to the Lord. Wow. You'll never go wrong doing that. Probably nobody can say I'm too thankful. (laughs) We all could use some more. Uh, That thankful spirit, so. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to get to that in a minute. Back in uh, the first Sunday of the year, January, I suggested maybe a theme verse for the year would be uh, Isaiah 2 and verse 5, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. That would be a good theme verse for 2023, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We're so blessed. To live in this day and age towards the end of, of Christianity, towards the end of history, when we have not only the completed Bible in our hands, but 2,000 years of Christian experience to reflect back on, we should be able to walk in the light of the Lord. And so walk, make progress, do it in the light of the Lord. Uh, Jesus is the light of the world. And uh, we are told in Psalm 119, Verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So to walk in the light of the Lord, we have to be in the word. I want to encourage you to personally uh, be in the word of God. Be in the Bible. Read. If If you're a beginner, go back to the New Testament and start there. Like Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those books start reading there. And stay in the Word of God all of your life. It'll give you light uh, like a lamp, and it will help guide you and direct you in your life. Walk in wisdom, we're told. Well, how do you know if you walk in wisdom? Well, you're not making mistakes. <laughs> that's, all, that's all there is to it. Uh, you can't fudge that. You know, you can't fake that. Uh, if you walk in wisdom, you're not making mistakes. And so we're supposed to walk in wisdom and in the light of the Lord. So... I suggested that. Pastor Ben, uh, at his church, Countryside, suggested Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, and I thought, boy, that's as good as what I had, maybe better. But as we begin February now, I want to kind of bring some highlights of things he said for the theme up there at Countryside for this year, verses 1 and 2, and uh, especially the end of verse 1 is his theme for countryside. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And uh, that's good for a young preacher and a young church to value the virtue of patience. Uh, certainly there are, have been a lot of uh, churches and pastors who are impatient um, Dr. Barney Lee one time when he was alive told us the story of 30 different men that he knew who had come to Buffalo, New York, believing it was God's will for them and who left within a year or two because they weren't running 100 or 200 people in their church. That's not patience. Uh, that's not patience. And I wish that if they had been called to Buffalo, honestly, by God, and they had come and run their race with patience, they might still be here. And we might have 30 churches in Buffalo rather than a couple uh, that would be really preaching the gospel and being the light of the world. But we've got to run with patience, folks. God's not in half the hurry we're in. All right? He's not in a hurry. 
Uh, he's thorough, and uh, it is a marathon. We'll get to that in a minute here, but I want you to notice. Uh, let's just go through these couple verses here before the Lord's Supper. Hebrews 12, let's start in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. All right, there's different opinions on what that means. Some people believe there are people in heaven looking down on us, watching us. I don't know why they would. Uh, I would be so distracted if I was in heaven by Jesus, uh, just being in God's presence. I wouldn't want to see a thing that's going on down here uh, in this filthy world. But maybe it's true. I don't know if it's true or not. Some do believe that, and, and they, they may be as right as, as you can be. Um, it also could mean that the witnesses in the previous chapter, which is the Hall of Faith chapter, which talks about all these great men and women, and how uh, 15 times it says in that chapter, chapter 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then it tells us about some man or woman and what they did. And then another five times it says through faith, through faith, through faith. And so we have this chapter 11, this cloud of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, or the word witnesses refers to testimonies. As we have all these testimonies of all these men and all these women who walk by faith in their day, it says, seeing we are encompassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, as they did. And it is remarkable, uh, the men and the women in chapter 11 of Hebrews, what they gave up. Uh, for instance, Moses could have been called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, he could have lived in luxury and um, ease and comfort and the best food on earth. Pharaoh being, and, and, and Egypt being the, the glory of the world at his time. And he went and left it all and went out in the wilderness where there weren't even outhouses. There was no food, no water, um, no stores, nothing. Because by faith, he said, I have a greater reward in heaven than Pharaoh can ever give me down here on this earth. Pharaoh and his palace wouldn't come close so the reward God will give me if I follow Christ and do his will. And so he went off into 40 years of just funerals, uh, 603,000 funerals in 40 years. Um, complaints. Dust storms. It talks about the dust storms they had and having to follow a pillar of cloud. Uh, by day, pillar of fire by night, 40 years eating manna. Boy, let's see Americans try that. Uh, we were, you know, leftovers for two days, and we are like really suffering for Christ. Uh, to, to think that I'm eating left the same leftovers for two days. Imagine manna, uh, 40 days, and all that. But that's just one story. He's one of those witnesses. Now, maybe they can see us uh, from heaven. That, that would be great. But I do know that we are, we are being watched uh, for sure uh, right now. First uh, Corinthians 4 and verse 9 says, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were, appointed to death 
For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. All right? We are a spectacle. And that word spectacle, theatron, all right, that's the Greek word theater. We're the ones on stage that the world's watching. Angels are watching us, and they're all holy. And uh, man is watching us. So we are on display, and for some reason, they know enough that's going on down here on earth in heaven that the Bible tells us in Luke fifteen seven, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than other ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So I don't know whether they can see us or not, but they sure do hear what's going on. And uh, when there's a fifth grade girl in Good News Club who comes to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing in heaven. Somehow they get a report of what's going on uh, down here. But anyways, our text begins with those words, wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And so I, I can't surmise whether the people in heaven actually see us or not, but uh, we are being watched down here on earth, that's for sure, including by holy angels, holy angels, all right, and of course, <clears throat> by the Lord, Proverbs 15 and verse 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So that, that's, that should do it for us right there. That should affect us. Uh, the eyes of the Lord are upon us. Second Chronicles chapter number 16 and verse number 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So not only is he watching our behavior, he is examining our heart and the attitude of our heart. And he will show himself strong on the behalf of any man, any woman, any age whose heart is perfect toward him. So the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, so they say. We've got to get our hearts right, not just be saved, get our hearts right, our attitudes right. And, and watch out how we're thinking about other people in our hearts and and why we do what we do. What, what's, what's the motive for what we do? Why we do what we do? Is it pure? Is it for God? Not for applause. Not for pride. So the eyes of the Lord are upon us at all times. Angels are watching us at all times. Mankind. Uh, if you're the only Christian in your place of work, they're all watching you. They're all watching you. Uh, and uh, they're keeping an eye on you. We need to be Good testimonies. As a result, notice four things. Number one, we should lay aside every weight. We should lay aside every weight. Back in our text of Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, there is a sports analogy here of running, marathon running, and uh, track, maybe field, that type of a thing, which was quite popular in Bible times. It was the Super Bowl of the day, and that was the... Greek Olympics, which actually started about 400 years before Christ. 
and continued on right up till Christ, and then and then they stopped and were reinvented in the late 1800s, and we still have them going on nowadays. And boy, I tell you what, these these athletes are just amazing at how much they put into what they do, that they may receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Just think about how much. I always thought, man, what if a guy like Bill Belichick had become a pastor? With the effort and the discipline and the time he puts into something that means nothing. Boy, what he could have done. Uh, Just how early he gets up, how late he stays, how devoted he is to a cause that's absolutely meaningless. Boy, if we all could only get some guys like that to, to be saved, be pastors, and just give their best. Give their best to the Lord. My, oh, my. What churches we would have. Sports analogy of running here. Number one, lay aside every weight. Now, I don't know what that meant back then, but I do remember running five years of track. Here's an old illustration. Some of you have never heard it. I went to Orchard Park High School. We had three stories, our high school and a basement. And uh, all winter long, we would strap weights to our ankles and to our wrists and we would start in the basement and we would run up all the steps to the third floor and then back down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down with weights strapped to our ankles and uh, wrists Um, they probably have better methods now than doing what we did back in the 70s but we would do that now we wouldn't do that in the track meet when that came, let us lay aside every weight. You do that in practicing and working up to it so you could get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And our coach would make us run the halls in the wintertime with the weights, and he said, get your knees up, knees up, knees up. And we'd have to be running through the halls. And uh, we, we had a tremendous track team that, that won it all in my uh, senior year. But uh, you would not do that when it comes to the meet. In fact, in the Greek Olympics, they competed naked, totally naked, the men. Women and children were not allowed to come to the original Olympics and watch. It was just all men because they did not want one slightest restraint to keep them from all-out performance. And uh, so um, that's why you go to Greece and you see a bunch of naked statues everywhere. You think, why well, put some clothes on these things? But that's how they were. They worshipped the human body in those days. And uh, the Greek athletes, they, uh, the, the athletes were, were, were the, just, they were just deities. They were gods. And, uh, but, but when it came to competing, you didn't, you didn't want to, you know, and I can remember those days. We, I didn't even want to wear socks uh, because it felt like psychologically it was restraining me a little bit. It says, lay aside every weight. When we were in the military, at least when I was in, they told us, carry your bags lightly. And the reason they said that is because I saw many times uh, where somebody got orders to leave in two days. And they had bought a car and they'd filled their room with all kinds of junk that they had bought and stereos and sound systems and all kinds of other stuff, golf clubs. And they had to figure out a way to get rid of it in two days. And, uh, I mean, they were just just taking peanuts on the dollar uh, to try to get rid of their stuff. 
because they thought they were going to stay there. We're not going to stay here. We're not going to stay here on this earth. And to run this race, we need to lay aside every weight. And, and you, we got to look at this spiritually and say, you know, some of these things I have are just weighing me down. The more you possess, the more you gain, the more you buy, the more time you have to spend in um, maintaining those things, uh, whatever it is. And so the Apostle Paul talked about that in, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 12, and he talked about how that he with sincerity and simplicity had his lifestyle, his conversation in this world, in this world. He said, my lifestyle in this world is just one of sincerity and simplicity. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Uh, we'll get to that Wednesday night in our study. <laughs> Tell American that. You got food and clothes, yeah, be content. Uh, but that's what we're supposed to do. And so it might be time for some of us to unload some things. Perhaps we're involved in organizations that are unfruitful. Uh, they, they, they bear no fruit for the Lord Jesus, no, no eternal fruit. They might be very good. They may, may have a very good mission that benefits humanity on a very temporal uh, scale. Uh, but but let, let them do those good deeds for man through those organizations and let us be members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and stick to the eternal things. We have got to understand that one of the secrets to understanding victory and, and, and the, the wiles of our adversary is that he often substitutes very, very, very good things in our life to keep us from doing the best. Very good things to keep us from doing the best. Spend your time doing things that will outlast time. Doing eternal things. And live a simple life so you have the time that you can uh, serve the Lord and, and run your race. Then it says, lay aside every sin, number two, which doth so easily beset us. That word beset means to hem us in, to enclose us, to imprison us. Uh, perhaps you've seen a corral uh, where they put horses in. Those horses are beset by that corral. They are unable to run free like they want to. They can just walk around in circles or squares or whatever. And uh, that's what the word beset here now means in verse number one. Let us lay aside every weight, and then there's the conjunction, and, so it would not be improper to uh, paraphrase, let us lay aside every weight, and let us lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset us. Uh, we've got to lay aside. Now, it must be possible. God would not write that if it wasn't possible for every one of us to overcome our besetting sin. That one particular sin that keeps us corralled, that keeps us hemmed in, that keeps us from really running freely the race God has set before us. And, and usually everyone struggles with some people. Praise the Lord for those that have the victory. But, but it's usually pride. We talked about humility a lot this morning. It's usually pride 
that's the most besetting of our sins. David said, let not the foot of pride come against me. Why did he say that? Uh, because we, it, it, it trips us. It trips us. Every, every one of us, we get up and we start running and it's, hey, I'm really doing good. And bang, down we go. And uh, tripping and falling and tripping and falling and tripping and falling over our own pride. Pride is such a wicked sin. I believe it's the father of all sins. And I believe the three worst ones, and they are graded in the Bible, if you'll study them, is pride, rebellion, and stubbornness. And I believe those father all other sins, no matter what it is that we do. If we know it's wrong, it's our pride that says, I don't care. I really don't care what God says about this. I, I like this. And so we've got to lay aside every sin which does so easily beset us. We've got to look at that particular sin, that addiction, that stubborn habit, that bad attitude, um, that sin of commission, sin of omission, or whatever it might be, and say, God says I can set this aside, so I'm going to set this aside. And he gives us help. Um, Jesus, uh, for instance, said, uh, if, you, if you have an addiction or besetting sin, and we probably all do, uh, Jesus said to us in John 8, verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then in verse 36, he says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Son, S-O-N, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. So knowing the truth and knowing the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, being close to him, both are promised to set us free from that uh, beset that we're in, that corral that, we're, that keeps us from accomplishing God's will. And so we've got to know Jesus. Uh, like we had testimony tonight about the girl who basically said, I'm going to give God a try. <laughs> Amen. That's, that was wisdom there. And God has been helping her to get free from some things. And we've seen some people free indeed. That's what Jesus said. Whom the Son shall set free is free indeed. And uh, no more. No more are they beset by that particular sin. So I don't care what it is, how stubborn it is, how addicted it is to you. You need to come to Christ. I need to come to Christ and to the truth of the Bible, the Word of God. And um, just... Just find help in God. He's, he's stronger than any of that. I just, I'm thinking here about Romans chapter 6, verse 16. I'm sorry, verse, uh, Romans 6, yeah. What a great chapter, the whole thing. It would take me too long. But verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. And we talked about how to get grace this morning. By being clothed with humility. And grace does so much for us. Including freeing us from the dominating sin. That is in our lives. Uh, you, you, you won't be dominated. Sin shall have no, have no dominion over you. Uh, because of the grace of God. Now if you don't know what grace is. You've got to ask for it. And he'll show it to you. And uh, you won't. I don't know if we'll ever be able to define it completely, but boy, you'll know if you got it. You know, what the grace of God can sustain you through or deliver you from or accomplish in your life, grace. 
Lay aside every sin. That's a good thought tonight as we have the Lord's Supper. What is it that just, you know, just every day is there, meeting you in the morning, saying, hey, I'm your pet sin. And off you go in defeat. No, no. Uh, Just say that's enough. And uh, by God's grace, by the truth of the Son of God and the truth of the Word of God, I am going to be the victory. We'll get into that one of these days. I'm working on a sermon more specifically. Then number three, run with patience the race that is set before us. By the way, I call this sermon more things to do this year. (laughs) In case you were wondering, what's this about? More things to do this year. Last month, the first of the month, it was walk in the light of the Lord. Tonight, it's lay aside every weight. Weights aren't bad. They're not sinful, but they just keep us from... Some of the stuff we have in our life just keeps us from running the race. Weights. Sins are wrong. Let us lay aside every sin. And then run with patience the race that is set before us. The race that is set before you is different than the race that is set before me. Another synonym for it would be the will of God. The race for you is the will of God for your life. And uh, I don't know what God's will is. You've got to find that. Because I believe God's will is basically in two parts. There's the revealed will, which is the same for every one of us, such as what we were talking about earlier. In everything, give thanks For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's the same. It's God's will for you to be saved. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you are not in God's will. God wants you to be saved. Who will have all men saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? 1 Timothy 2.4. That's his will. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9. He wants you to get saved and then walk in the steps of Christ, then get baptized. He wants you to belong to a church. He wants you to begin your race, will. And, and it's so many of the, the revealed will of God is, is the same for all of us. Read the word. If you're not reading the word, you're not in God's will. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Pray. Pray without ceasing. A man or a woman who's not a man or woman of prayer, a boy or girl of prayer, is not in God's will. You need to be praying. And as God looks down with those eyes upon us and he sees somebody obeying the the revealed will of God the best you can, then God, I believe, says, you know what? They have proven themselves faithful with the revealed will of God. Now I'm going to show them the concealed will of God that special gift for them, that special calling for them, that that, that special ministry for them, that special person to marry, the revealed will of God, which is different for all of us. The concealed, or the revealed is the same for all of us, I'm sorry. Concealed is different for all of us. And that is your race. That is your race. And you got to run it with patience. You don't want to be sprinting at the beginning of a marathon. <laughs> All right, you don't want to be sprinting. I've done a lot of long-distance runs in my life and track, cross-country, and in the Army. You don't want to start out sprinting. Um, or, or everybody else is going to go by you pretty soon. You want to pace yourself. You want to have faith in God and patience with God. And sometimes you got to wait a long time. Just think of the guys that, 
like Moses, 40 years. 40 years on the backside of a mountain watching sheep. Knowing before that, that God had called him to lead the children of Israel out. God revealed that to him before he went and to the mountain. And 40 years, he's, imagine that. Imagine David 20 years after Samuel anoints him with oil, 20 years. Running for his life like an animal in the woods trying to get away from Saul. And he had to have days when he said, Lord, what's this got to do with anything? You anointed me to be the next king. I'm not even close to that. But he had patience. What about Joseph? Remember his dreams when he was a teenager? Remember those dreams when he was a teenager? How'd that go for the next 20 years? Boy, those dreams, if it had been me, would have dissipated. And I said, well, (laughs) I don't know what I was dreaming. Maybe too much pizza and pepperoni or something. I don't know what, how I come up with those thoughts. But Joseph held on to those dreams with patience. And he finished his course. He finished his course. David finished his course. Moses finished his course. But boy, they had to wait a long time. As I said earlier, God is not in half the hurry we're in. Patience. You've got to run with patience if you ever... Seen some cross-country runners. It's a struggle. And uh, boy, halfway through every race, you feel like quitting. And then you catch your second win. I talked to a marathon runner one time. What do they mean by second win? I never got that far. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, it's true. He says, just halfway through the race, something happens to you physically. And you catch your second win, and you can pace yourself, and it's like it's not even burning up your energy anymore. And... Uh, We've got to remember that. Be faithful in the little things, Luke 16.10 says, so that God can trust you with greater things. Do not think, do not sit around and do nothing waiting to do something big for God. Just do a bunch of little things. Just do a bunch of little things, and he'll trust you with great things. Let us run with patience the race. God's will for your life, run it with patience. There's many tempting resting places along the way there's many tempting quitting places along the way but you can't you can't it's too good it's too good uh that race and and making progress and just getting down the road with god it's just too good when you look back and you say wow look what god did god has a will for your life it may be the darkest mystery of your life tonight but I promise you he has a will for your life. He has something you're going to want to find and run for. And last of all, number four, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, verse two. Now it doesn't say looking at Jesus. A lot of people do that, but looking unto Jesus refers to dependence. Looking unto. Some people are looking unto the government. Right? You see him? You know what I mean? They're looking on to the government like, you know, it's just so sad when they could uh, just work, especially in America. The American dream's still out there, and, and they, they can take hold of it as an individual. You know, I like what Clarence Thomas said once. He said, the dirty secret about capitalism is you're on your own. 
My dad told me that on my wedding day. You're on your own now, son. All right. Boy, did he keep his word. Wow. Man. But it makes you grow up in a hurry. But it, it, it's, it's, it's so good when you don't depend on anybody else except the Lord. Looking unto Jesus. Too many people today are, are reading you know, self-help books. They're selling off the, the uh, you know, counters and self-help speakers and monthly prognosticators and psychics and experts and doctors on television. Man, alive. Counselors, celebrities, psychiatrists, psychologists, university professors. And I'm sure there's good, sincere people in all uh, of, of those uh, employments, but we got Jesus. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why would I want to go to somebody inferior when in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why would I want to read their books? Why? If I could look unto Jesus. And that's referring to dependence. Not looking at Jesus. Oh, you're a historical figure. Look at all the things you did and said. No, no. Looking unto Jesus. Independence. See, I can say, Lord Jesus, in you are hid. All. If, I, if, if some, somebody wanted to give me advice, I, I'd probably listen. Maybe God is going to speak through them to me. You've got to be careful about that, too. But if someone needs to know all the answers, I would ask them, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in you? Do you know them all? All the wi- treasures we know? But Christ does. Christ does. We, have, we, we underestimate Christ, if I could put it that way. Oh, he's a savior. But after that, you've got to kind of do it. No, you don't have to kind of do it on your own. Uh, savior just, you know, uh, gives us grace for grace. And Jesus, I'm telling you, he can tell you everything you need to know. Do you ever read in the Old Testament a guy named Bezalel? And Aholiab, they're building all the furniture and the tabernacle and the tents and all that. You know who gave him the wisdom for that? Yeah, God. It says, I have filled them with the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. On how to make nails. How to make tent pegs. How to make curtains. How to make furniture. God told him, here's how you do it. I don't care what your employment is. God knows more about it than you do or the people who taught you how to do your employment. And you can rest upon the Lord and say, God, help me. God, help me. Looking unto uh, Jesus. And so there's four more things we can do this year. We can lay aside every weight and say, you know something? This is keeping me. And maybe just start selling off stuff getting out of organizations that aren't fruitful. I don't know what you belong to. Uh, Getting out of clubs and maybe even quitting sports. Endless sports in this country, isn't it? Oh, is it my imagination or does it never end? And uh, what, you know, what fruit is there in that? What fruit is there? What what eternal is going to last from that? Uh, It might be fun, but it's, it's not important. And somebody's got to tell you that. Somebody's got to tell you. Somebody told me that once. I didn't like it. Because that was my God. That was my idol. Sports. But somebody told me it's not important. It's not eternal. Boy, I'm glad they did. 
I like the mad, sad, glad principle of truth. Usually when you hear truth, the first thing you do is get mad. Then you finally realize, you know, that's right, and you get sad. And then you change the way you think about some things, and then you get glad. That's how truth works. And man, that helped me to just kind of put my life in an eternal perspective. And I wasn't going to waste my emotions, all my feelings on whether we win or lose. It's futile here in Buffalo anyway. What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking? Of? It's the same story every year. You can write the ending before it starts. All right, amen. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside the besetting sin. That's the one particular one that just keeps you in that corral. Keeps you corralled up. I just can't get out of that by God's power. Run with rate, the patient, race with patience. Please be patient. I know, you know, when I was starting out, I was like, I remember when I got, first got saved. I said, man, the rapture is going to take place tomorrow. This is in 1969. You know, and I'm, I'm like, we got we to gotta, you know, do everything. Rapture is going to take place. No, you know, do you realize there's somebody when the rapture takes place who it's going to be God's will that they're preparing for the ministry that they'll never get to. Somebody. Somebody will be taking a correspondence course to help them that they'll never use. Some kid's going to be six years old, just got saved, never got to serve. At the rapture, that's going to happen to somebody. But praise the Lord if they're where God wants them to be. Even if they come in at the 11th hour, God says, I'll give them the same reward just just be where I want you to be when I come back someone's going to be planning their their wedding someone I don't know how it's going to work someone's going to be pregnant ready to have their first child or something all kinds of plans somebody's just going to start a career just start a business up just start it in the rapture bang but if they're if they're where God wants them to be at the 11th hour He'll say, I'll reward you. So run with patience the race that is set before. And then look unto Jesus. Depend on Jesus. Depend on Jesus. Come on. Let's quit depending on television to comfort us and, you know, all these people to give us advice. You know, we, we, we actually get our... Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Um, we'll go into that another day, but... 